One creature caught, caught in a place he cannot stir from in the dark, alone, outnumbered hundreds to one, nothing to live for but his memories, nothing to live with but his gadgets, his cars, his guns, gimmicks. And yet the whole family can't bring him down out of that, that hunky paradise, brother. Alright folks, welcome to the Man Cave Movie Review, the podcast that reviews the good, the bad, and the ugly of movies for men. This is episode 227, and today we're going to be talking about Omega Man. This great and fantastic film stars the legendary Charlton Heston, Anthony Zerby, and Rosalind Parks. I am your host, Steve Michaels, and joining me is my very good and dear friend, Jeff, the Lord of the Infernal Engine, Muncie. <laughs> Hey, thanks, Steve. Hey, um, I, I'm glad I could be here tonight. I missed last couple of podcasts. I've had a chance to listen to both of them, and you know, I realize that um, you know, as, as as dynamic as the conversation was, it was just missing something, and I and I felt that I had to pull myself back into this, and you know, it it just wasn't the same without somebody you know taking a dump in a punch bowl. So I'm back. And, boy, we're glad to have you because, you know what, this podcast, like I said, Jeff, was missing a certain level of sarcasm that only you could bring to this show. And, <laughs> and with Brian here, um, you know what, it just, it, 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 it's, it's exponentially better. It is. It is. Yeah, I'm looking for somebody to, to dra- do the draft so I can follow behind him as we go off the edge of the rails here. So. <laughs> And there you're his voice for us, our other good and dear friend, uh, the Reverend Deuteronomy Skaggs. You know, that's me, the 100, 165% Anglo-Saxon. I'm here. <laughs> Man, that's a good thing Roni's not here because that was his intro. I'm going to have to get something else for him. <laughs> I guess between you, I guess between you and Ken, you're the only two really true Anglo-Saxons in this group. So. Uh, if Arkansas Irish counts, yeah, I'm, I'm one. I'm that. I am far more cosmopolitan, sophisticated. <laughs> 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 oh goodness! All right, well there you go, folks. Uh, we're going to be talking about Omega Man, and um, I guess maybe I should probably start this show off by extending my apologies to anybody that's actually going to go and watch this. I, 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 I. I, I so let's get a clarification. Uh, yeah, um, is is this is this the Schlock edition? This is a Schlock edition, and I threw okay. it out. I threw Just it make out. Sure. Yeah, I threw it out there as is one of our. Uh, we haven't done a Schlock movie in a long time, and uh, some of our longtime listeners uh, know that back in the day, we used to um, on probably a little bit more regular basis throughout what we called our schlock editions. And these were what we refer to as man cave movies that were just, you know, they, they were schlocky. They were, uh, you know, bad acting, bad, pretty much bad movies altogether. But there was a certain, they had a, they held a certain charm, if you will. Okay. Genesequa. Yeah. It, that's whatever. I, I gotta be honest. Was, was this a schlock edition after we watched it? Because when you suggested a movie, I'm like, hell yeah, let's do this movie. Then I watch it. I'm like, "Holy shit!" It's well, been a long time. It I well see that's just. I mean, I I remember it being even, and we'll get into that 
Um, just, just so you know, folks, this, this movie, it, it was made in 1971. Um, it has not held up. Um, I, <laughs> as, as a matter of fact, I think after 1975, it didn't hold up. So I'm just throwing that out there right off the bat. So yeah, if there was a hold up, it was us. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but we're, we're going to talk about it because again, it's, well, like I said, we'll get into that. It, this movie, I've got, I've got words to say and about, uh, pretty much not so much about the movie in general, but, um, we'll get into it a little bit more and just in terms of, uh, this period of time when movies were being made. Uh, these type of movies are basically what we refer to as like sci-fi or fantasy or dystopian future, whatever have you. But <clears throat> guys, before we, um, get too far into this, and just so you know, folks, Ken, uh, our good and dear friend Ken, who was supposed to be the uh, 160 proof Anglo-Saxon, he is supposedly on his way, so he'll probably be in here at some point. So um, bear with us. But before we get into uh, our in-depth discussion of this great and fantastic film, I'm going to give you uh, one of our official Man Cave movie intros of this movie. Gentlemen, prepare yourselves. <laughs> One creature caught, caught in a place where he can't podcast, in the dark, alone, outnumbered three podcasters to one, nothing to live for but his homebrew, nothing to live with but his Pink Floyd collection, his Cub Scouts, his math formulas, gimmicks, and yet the whole Man Cave Movie Review family can't bring him down from that, that, Muncie Paradise, brother. <laughs> Well done, sir. Well, there you go. You know what? You, you haven't been around for a while, so I, I, I had to. I had to do something special just for you. <laughs> Bring him down. But <laughs> <laughs> it's Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd and homebrew. <sighs> Outdone herself. Yep. There you go. Basically, that's it, folks. That's the uh, that's the man cave movie intro of this great and fantastic film. But for those of you who have never seen this movie, uh, you know the background is uh, Army Doctor Robert Neville. Uh, and that's Charlton Heston, struggles to create a cure for the plague that has wiped out most of the human race. And, you know, like we talked about um, at the start of the show, this is this is 1971. This is, you know, an older, older movie. Um, obviously, you know, Jeff, I don't think, had been born yet. Uh, Brian was already married with kids. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and on Tremont for this is actually the year of my birth. Is it? Oh, I don't want to freaking hear that, Muncie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, you were on your second date at the theater, weren't you, Brian? Uh, I was in truck stops by that time. <laughs> truck stops, that's right. <laughs> so basically, this whole thing starts off is is that, and, and they go into, I think, some kind of interesting uh, 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 backstory. There's obviously a... Uh, a border conflict with the Soviets and the Chinese, and it turns into germ warfare that uh, pretty much covers the planet, kills off pretty much everybody, and except for obviously your handful of survivors. And you've got the plague victims. I mean, they're not zombies. They're, they're kind of zombies, Steve. 
Yeah, but they're, I mean, they're articulate. They can speak. They've got, they're, they're just more, I think it's one of those where it's like they became, they're almost like more psychotic or they're like night walkers or something. Well, like it's that. like their wounds don't heal. I noticed that. Yeah. But so. it's just they're, you know, they're, they don't like the light. So they always stay in the dark. So they only come out at night. Um, sounds like me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Well, I think the original, I think the book version of this, I Am Legend, had them being more like vampiric than anything. Right. Yeah. Well, which I think was the theme of this. Um, if you stick with the movie, and it doesn't really, I think, fully portray itself until the end, it, um, they, they, they have a motive. They have a motivation. I mean, they're not mindless in what they're doing. They they actually have a they actually have a God. What do you want to call it? A um a philosophy. Right. I mean, they're they're on a mission. I mean, there's intent here, and it's not just mindless people doing what they want to do. I mean, they they and I don't want to ruin it, even though this is you know God whatever fifty some years old. But it, it you know in the yeah, end go, it was go like, ahead, Jeff. You, you're probably not going to ruin it. <laughs> But yeah. I mean, I mean, they're they're they are they they blame they're blaming anybody other than themselves for the situation that they're in, and they're trying to write that. And when you look at it, you start to ask yourself: Are there are there are there are they bad? Are there bad people in the show? Or are they just they're trying to write the wrong they feel that was done to them? Which I that was the best part of the movie. I thought, well, that's there's the philosophical question: Who who's the one at Who's the evil one here? I mean, clearly Charleston Heston is trying to, well, I mean, even then you can say, well, was he good? Was he bad? He had the cure and he didn't want to, he didn't want to give it up. Oh no, he, he didn't want to give it up to them. He saw them as homicidal maniacs. He says that, I mean, he's Mm -hmm. willing to try to save other people like him, but it's like they're, and that was the thing he saw them because it's like what they're trying to write. They're blaming they're blaming science and modern mo, what the hell is that word modernity? is there modernity modernity is that shit i can't speak it's a real word yeah so it's they're books yeah, keep they're, it somewhere. so they're blaming everything anything technology wise they're blaming that so they're you know they're burning books they're tearing, they're destroying everything so it, it goes back to you know we're going back to you know sticks and stones that's that's as good as it gets as far as these guys are concerned cuz they think technology has is what has wrought all these all it was what brought the plague so they're right. well, they're, yeah i was gonna say they're not wrong well I mean, that's that's i mean it, it wasn't it wasn't the you know, according to the movie it wasn't the americans it was you know two other nations russia and china that did it yeah. but it was i mean with without that technological advancement i mean they, they wouldn't be in the situation they're in well but yeah but the thing it is is that tell that to the people in the black plague back in the 1300s i mean there was it wasn't technology that wiped out you know a third of europe you know it was freaking fleas and rats so you know when you have a catastrophic event like something like that happens now granted yeah this was you know man-made one but you know who's to say that that wouldn't happen again I mean, you got you know, look at the the uh, influenza outbreak of 1919. That was after World War One. Look how many millions died there, and I think that outbreak killed like another 20 million people. I mean, God, that had to have seemed like the you know the end of the world at that time. But that's getting a whole different area there. So, 
I mean, yeah, you could see where they're, you know, where they're coming from, but I have to agree, they definitely were the bad guys, my opinion. But Neville wasn't. Uh, I mean, he just was, I mean, he was trying to find a cure. Well, you know, the, my, I did not read the original novel. I watched the original movie, uh, The Last Man, with uh, Vincent Price. And um, yeah. you got to love Charlton Heston. I do. I, I, I actually adore Charlton Heston. Uh, but, but Heston is not a, what, what's the word I'm looking for? He's not a small actor. Um, you know, he is not going to be uh, the guy back in the corner that you don't notice. That's, and neither was Vincent Price. Um, but I, but I don't recall the original black and white movie, but, but again, it was called the last man, uh, based on the novel. Um, and then obviously we got the more recent Will Smith version, but, uh, my understanding is that in the end, the monster was the lead character. He was the one that the, 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 I mean, in, in the case of this show would have been the little albino blonde, uh, albino kids you know would have told stories about in nightmares coming out and killing everybody which by the way when the movie opens up you know he's he's floating that machine gun around and scattering around now again in this particular movie the 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 whatever you call them they were they were kind of homicidal maniacs but uh you know with maybe a good a good reason maybe uh, but my understanding in the book is he's actually he is he is the monster they all fear and, and, and part of the whole book is it gets you to that point where you're like, wow, he's not the good guy anymore. You know, he's the last, uh, I won't say Neanderthal, but he's the last primitive out there, uh, which I get my understanding. That's the point of the book. Uh, hmm. Obviously, not, not the movie, but. Hello. Sorry, I'm running late. That's all right. We figured we'd just pull you in when you when you got here, so. Okay, so you guys started up a little later than expected? Uh, yeah. Is there such a thing? <laughs> well, you're probably waiting for Jeff, and Jeff didn't show. No, Jeff's <laughs> I find your lack of faith disturbing, oh, Ken. Dear. Jesus Christ. Nah, his video's not working. Now. We just have the, the spinning circle. For well, Brian yeah, talked. Yeah, Jeff hasn't left Jeff talk, and I'll say my piece. Oh, no. I've been talking all night. Yeah, Jeff's already talked, so... So, hey, what, Ken, what have I missed? What have I missed? Have I really? We we really just kind of got started. I mean, we we were just really kind of talking about um, pretty much the movie, kind of the background of it. Brian was kind of giving a comparison to the uh, the book, and then the um, uh, the Last Man, which is uh, the Vincent Price movie, right? Uh, back then, so. Um, so that's kind of where, you know, he was just kind of doing a little bit of a comparison, uh, uh, aspect of it there. But, uh, I, you know, I don't know, did Jeff said he never saw it before, uh, Brian kind of like me, we saw it a long time ago and then we watched it again. And, um, I think we've got different, different views of it, seeing it again <laughs> after so many years. So we we're, we're really curious what your thoughts are, Ken. Well, um. Uh Again, sorry for running a little late at a dinner party I couldn't get out of. But, uh, I could have gotten out, but that would have been rude. But I'm running a little late. But I can tell you, I mean, I saw this ages ago. Can't say I saw it at the theater, but I saw this on TV as a young person. I mean, I would have been probably in high school when this came out. And for its time, 
it was a creepy, apocalyptic sort of movie. There weren't a lot of movies like this. The whole end of civilization. Uh, I'm going to not even say the word, well, I'm going to say the word zombie, but like it's not a zombie movie. It's, it's, it's an end of the world, counterculturist, you know, social commentary movie. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very much steeped in that late 60s, early 70s, you know, social situation. Uh, the Black Power Movement, anti-war, Vietnam, uh, all that. It totally filters through this. Uh, if I can say it, from a modern viewpoint, to an annoying level. It's anachronistic. The fact, you know, all the throwback commentary they have, it's, uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a movie of its day. I'll say that. Um, when I watched it, I can remember I was a young man. I was being creeped out. You know, I was weird, unusual. Uh, these, these, you know, pasty-faced, you know, anti-tech people of the night. A thing I'm realizing is, as I watched it, this, you know, this is probably the second time I've seen it. I mean, I saw it when I was a young guy, and I've probably seen it not I don't remember seeing it any other times. The whole concept of who's the guy and who's the bad guy jumped out at me on my second watching because I can sort of understand where these Charlton Heston's antagonists are coming from. I mean, they, they had faith in their society and their society destroyed itself, so they decided they needed to get rid of all these evil influences, and Charles Heston epitomized the evil influence. So, like, is he the bad guy? Is he the good guy? I mean, I kind of buy into that. I can see that. Uh, deep down inside, I say, no, I'm on Charles' side. I mean, these guys are pasty-faced, disease zombies. They're going to die off. That's that. I'm going to make an editorial comment about these post-apocalyptic movies uh, where, again, everybody, most people have died off and survivors are left rummaging around in the refuse of society and civilization that they've been living in. Charles Heston's character, he thinks he's alone, he's isolated, he's got nobody around, he's the last man on earth. But, you know, he's got all this equipment, he's got all this gear, because he's got the whole world to scavenge from. I mean, they make it real clear in this movie, like, you need a car, you just go out and take a car. I mean, you need food, just go out and take food. Because everybody in the world, pretty much, 99% of people just died one day. So again, he's the last man on earth. And there's other movies that do this, where it's like, oh, the civilization has ended, we're all alone. Here's my thing. I mean, it's just a beef I got on these kind of movies. And I'll move on. Because I can, I can name a bunch of movies like um, name your post-apocalyptic movie where there's damnation alley. Damnation alley. The post. Uh, I mean, start naming all, all these post-apocalyptic movies. Do none of these guys understand how a radio works? How a what? A what? radio. Because if there are pockets of civilization around, they should all have access to radios, and they can like say, "Hey, here I am." Come talk to me. I got stuff. That's assuming you're a ham, right? 
Uh, it's, you don't have to have a license in the post-apocalyptic world to operate a radio. Uh, I, I couldn't do it. I don't have. I, yeah, I don't have access to a radio. Do you have access to a radio, Ken? Well, if I was free to rummage around and scavenge civilization for a couple weeks, yeah, I would have a radio. <laughs> I have right. a damn good radio, and I'd be communicating with the whole fucking world. <laughs> I guess if I rummaged through my my geographical area for two weeks, I would guess I would be hard pressed to find how many ham operators do you think live in this city? Find a uh, yeah, drive down the street, look for the radios, the, the antennas. They're there. I mean, yeah. again, I'm I just mean, saying, I know they have to set it up that the person is isolated all alone, but in reality, even if 99% of the people died, there'd be communication. Now, I understand where you guys are coming from, so I'll stop my tirade. I'll stop. Well, but, I mean, but uh, even then, Ken, if, if, if I'm going to get on a radio, it has to be somebody on the other end. And if somebody on the other end has died and they can't use it, then I, I may not. I mean, the, the premise for most of these is 99% of the population has died. And so yes. what you have is your average person. As we've talked about before, if you take your average person in one of these dystopian future type of situations where it's the end of the world and they've got to fend for themselves, most people would be lucky to live off a live off of, you know, whatever means they have in their cupboard for a few days, let alone have the wherewithal to drive down the street looking for some sort of radio antenna. I ag- I understand, but Having said all that, it bugs me I, because I, telecommunication would change all of these storylines and it's out there and people could use it. Having said that, this is a, in its day, this was seen as a important movie, uh, a powerful movie, um, went places other movies haven't gone. For me, when, I, when I'm thinking of this in the early 70s, 1971 is when this movie came out. This was a unique movie. There was not a lot of post-apocalyptic movies or zombie-esque movies or end-of-civilization movies. I mean, there was a few, but not a lot. So this was kind of a unique movie. Well, Uh, part of the big thing in this movie was the interracial aspect of it, which is, you know, which we chuckle at. But, uh, but, you know, know, that, that was innovative except it had been done star trek actually a few years before well, it, uh, but that was a big aspect of this movie you know you know to question like hey if you're the last two people on earth or something along that line what does it really matter you know what color your skin is or anything else right. now today actually today it would probably be instead of jack and jill be jack and jack but you know <laughs> that'd be the question you know but you know honestly seriously that'd be the movie today but uh, you know but then it was that you know, and that was that was kind of a big deal, kind of. Again, it had been done in Star Trek, but it had been done. It wasn't to- this. Mo- nothing in this movie is totally unique. Uh, this movie is kind of derivative in a lot of ways of a lot of other stuff that was going on. But it was in the total package, as I recall from my memories as a young person. Uh, was a lot of movies like this being made, and it did creep me out. This movie does have a creep factor to it. Uh, kind of loses it by modern sensibilities, but it was there. It was made, speaking of the the, uh, the racial message that it does have, 19, 
69 to like 1974 was the peak years of the what Hollywood called black exploitation movies. There's a whole bunch of low budget movies oriented towards the African America American market. <clears throat> uh, some of which some powerful ones came out this year. But it trickled through. We when we did uh Oh shoot! What was the Bond movie we did uh, from this period? Uh, uh, was it Live and Let Die? Live and Let Die. Yeah, Live and Let Die was the same period, and it had again this black exploitation ethos came through on that. It comes through on this. Just the slang, the jargon, the lingo, the attitudes. Also, the whole Vietnam thing came through. I mean, this was. Vietnam War was raging, and you know the the war that set off the end of humanity in this thing. It, it, they they threw in their two cents so on an anti-war movie into this movie. Uh, well, Ken, was wasn't this the time of the Black Panther movement? Oh yes, totally. I mean that totally. that that's I mean, and even though this may not have been new, this may not have been the first. It definitely wasn't at all common to have an interracial um, scene in a movie. Yeah, Star Trek may have done it first. Well, that didn't John Holmes movies I was watching back then had it, but, you know, that just me. Well, there we go. Thank <laughs> you, Brian, for bringing yeah. us full circle. And, <laughs> Boy, and you know. The traumatization and your therapist every two weeks. Um, she helps me out. <laughs> Those those chicks at the truck stop had an impact on Brian back in the seventies. They have an impact today. Apparently, John Holmes does too. But you know, I'm not going to go there. Wrecked him. Killed him. Killed him. <laughs> but you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I, I saw a little bit of that in this. You know, some of that. You know, like Ken said, the spillover. But I mean, to me, you know, that none of that was in your face. I mean, it, it seemed. I mean, I, I think it was more in your face in Live and Let, uh, Live and Let Die than it was in this. Yeah. But well, um, all, I, all I know, Steve, is I kept expect, expecting Link from the Mod Squad to show up any second. Yeah. You know, I mean, well, seriously. I mean, I really did. And, and I, I consider it, by the way, that level of cinematic glory for the record. But well, the Brian, thing- I, think you're, I think you're right. The, the production value of this movie is... It... it, it it, regrettable. It's not, you know, it's not that it's, re- okay, it is regrettable. It's a good choice now. of words. <laughs> but if you look, if you, if you watch this movie, you can appreciate, I think you just appreciate, okay, period wise, what was the cinematography like during this period of time? You know, it 1969, sucked. 1971, I think, you know, we're talking like the good, the bad, and the ugly. You have this type of movie. I mean, you have a lot of these, there's a certain look that 70s type movies have. And Steve and I were talking earlier. There's a certain look that 70s movies, TV shows have, and it's it's very defining. SWAT, Hawaii Five-O. Yes, you know, I mean, even if you go to uh, Barney Miller and you know the That's Jeffersons, great. I mean, there's it's it's all it it has a certain look and feel, which is which is which is very kind of time capsule-ish. However, Steve and I were talking a little bit earlier about. That's that's what makes Star Wars so important because you 
you have this vision. If you take Omega Man and you look at what it has, <clears throat> what it what it is, it's it's like this is what it was looking at. You know, Spartacus. This is the things that was going on during this time. And then George Lucas put Star Wars down there in 1977, yeah. 1978, and and it did to you know we are all big. Well, I don't know about Steve, but you know Brian and Ken and I, you know at least Ken introduced me to it. I guess Brian did technically um, to Traveler, and to, to borrow a term from Traveler, it almost feels like when you see Star Wars, it's like cinema has gone up like two or three tech levels. Yeah. From yeah. where it was. Would you agree, Ken? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm going to say, you know, I've made comments on this podcast previously about the the low quality of early 70s sci-fi using Damnation Alley as the counter to Star Wars. And this falls in there. And this falls into the same thing like Logan's Run, yep. uh, Soil and Green. In terms of production value, music, cinematography, script, it's you know, no, you got you got you know you keep going back a little bit farther. You got two thousand one, which Ken. is you know obviously iconic. Yeah. But there's a bunch of stuff in the meantime of silent running. Mm -hmm. uh, not that they're terrible movies, but Walking tall. they're very much products <laughs> of the early seventies. <laughs> That's just silent running probably wasn't that terrible, but I mean clearly you've got you've got two thousand one, which is. Uh, I mean, the only reason, honestly, the only reason we're not talking about 2001 versus Star Wars today is 2001 was very much a message movie. Uh, right. It, it, was, it was very cerebral, and, you know, most people saw walked out thinking, like, what the hell did I just see? Right. But, but the, 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 I mean, you can watch, you can put 2001 out there today, and somebody goes like, oh, that's a movie from last year. Kind of like, I mean... We, we kind of talked about this again, and it all did happen after Star Wars, you're right. But kind of like Alien or Aliens, you watch Alien or Aliens, you're like, yeah, that movie just came out last year. It holds up 30, 40 years later. Uh, well, Alien uh, Alien came out in 1979. Yep. Yeah. And and so we're still talking post-Star Wars. Where, yep. But you're right. I mean, you look at that movie, and and it holds up today visually. Aliens, Aliens is off the charts. I mean, I mean, Alien was great, but Aliens to me, you know, even more so. From my, to me, again, I love both. You know, let, let's be clear. I mean, I, I think those are two. Well, I mean, shit. As I mean, a movie and a story, Blade Run, right? Blade Aliens, Aliens speaks to us more than Alien. But if you yeah. look at the production of Alien and you go, God, that was nineteen seventy nine. You got to think that's the when the movie was released. So it was shot in seventy seven, seventy eight. Things like, same thing with Star Wars. Star Wars was was filmed in 75, 76, okay? That's, it, it's even earlier than we can, than, than the dated, than the date for the movie release. And you look at what was produced, but you continue to look at, in general, the production quality during that time and the amount of effort. And again, Star Wars changed everything. I mean, it, 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 it made, it, it rose the bar so high that, it allowed people to go, okay, this is what it can be. It was like, it was like there was almost like a lack of vision in the seventies for what cinema could be. It was just like people were taking for granted what they had and were just like, okay, this is just what we have to accept. Right. And then George Lucas comes along and is just like, no, I don't, I don't think you're seeing, I, you guys aren't seeing the world through 2020 glasses. 
Well, and I mean, you could see that when you just watch like the opening scenes, you know, and, and it's in the beginning when, you know, Heston's just, you know, driving the car through the streets of L.A. And you've got those overhead shots and you could almost see where the camera guy is. He's having a hard time keeping up as to where the car is going to be. You know, it's like it goes in between a building and it's you could literally see the cameras like, oh, he's over here. I mean, it, it, it almost like in the very beginning, it almost looks like somebody's just kind of shooting this with their home camera. And, and that's the feeling you, that you get. And it's just and, and, a and little bit. But I also yeah, appreciate the there was a lot of intent on if you notice the different shots they have during this during that opening sequence, there was a lot of there was a lot of thought into trying to get a different perspective than, you know, street level perspective. And then you had that one great shot where they they were shooting him like walking after I think he wrecked his car or something. And then they pan back to give the a mass the massive expanse that and, and and the emptiness that this city was. You know, this was filmed in Los Angeles. Right. But you got it a feeling that there's nobody here. I mean, it was desolate. There was nobody there. There was, you know, this paper blowing in the streets. And you got this, I mean, it was, a, in the beginning, I mean, I see what you're saying, Stephen, and I don't disagree. It's just, I, I do feel that that opening sequence, minus the ridiculous car crash that it goes into, yeah. uh, is, is, sets the, sets the, sets the mood, and it does it very subtly. It's not, you know, at first, if you don't know anything about this movie, you're like, okay, so is this guy driving fast through these streets, but then you start you start figuring things out. And I, I love how they tell that story without um, any sort of dialogue. And you start putting the pieces together that, you know what, he's, he's driving how he wants to. And, but how they do it with the different camera angles and the different, and the amount of cameras they had to have and the amount of, at least how long it took them to shoot that scene. To me, it was one of the cooler parts of the movie. I got to be honest, Jeff, sad to say that's, that was maybe the coolest filmography, filmography in the movie. That's right, yes, you're right. No, well, don't don't well, say that because as the movie progresses, it gets it gets it's it, shit. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's 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 Mark Miller down, shot better than this. Lockdown TV series seventies after that, it really is. Well, it, it, is. it is. It's like TV series level quality. But oh, you give that to say, Heston, he, he's prowling the city. He doesn't pick up, you know crap-ass rides. He, he picks up cool cars to drive around because he can. Because he can. But isn't that what we would do? Oh, yeah. Totally. Have you guys read The Stand? Oh, I read the no. book. You mean the book? Yeah, the book. Oh, yeah. Solo TV series. I mean, I mean, you know, you get that sense. I mean, you know, it seems that the movie that or the book that this is, that the Omega Man is based off of, which is I Am Legend. Yeah. Which was actually made into a movie titled I Am Legend with Will Smith, which, you know, it would be in. It's, it's recognizably the same story, but it takes a different twist. It was done first, obviously, with, in, in terms of the movies with Vincent Price. And right. Ken, I, made it, I made this earlier that I love Heston, but nobody chews up scenery like Charlton Heston, except Vincent <laughs> Price. Surprise. <laughs> Now, what, what did you guys, I mean, should we talk a second about I Am Legend? It would be interesting. I mean, if we're going to do this movie, I mean, it, it totally opens us for doing I Am Legend, which is a which is a very 
it's it's a it's a depressing movie in a very I don't say claustrophobic. This is, this is not. <laughs> no, I, I don't know if this is depressing. This is holy shit! Would, it was like a Jesus Christ ending. I mean, he's crucified and dying. I mean, it's oh, ridiculous. Oh, that ending is is absurd, Brian. Yeah. If you look at that, you're like, why is why are his arms outstretched like that? They're not tied to anything, are they? He's just stretching out his arms. If he's dead, he can't physiologically stretch out his arms like that. It was a total Jesus thing. At the I end get the, the whole imagery. I get it. I yeah. get it. He sacrificed himself for everybody. I get it. But looking at him in the water, and I'm like, he's dead, but his arms are stretched out in an angle that is counter to what happens after you immediately die. I just thought it was silly. I mean, if they're going to do it, they might as well just had the family crucify him and have him there in the fountain. Well, the whole ending, I mean, again, you know, the whole my movie. bitch, one of my many bitches on the movie, okay? Somehow, she, her hair turns white, she's an albino while she's shopping. Apparently, she doesn't really realize that. It just kind of <laughs> happens while I'm shopping, all right? <laughs> so, oh, I'm one of the family. And then, all of a sudden... Apparently, the family must have some kind of telekinesis because, I mean, am I wrong? Because I thought, you know, Anthony Zerba, Zerbi, she said maybe he went up and down the streets and drew them all together. But no, she's shopping. She hears the voice. She's one of them. And then, boom, she's it's just, again, it's telekinetic. And, and then, okay, you know, the night goes on. It's daylight. And they all go down their hole, right? Now, she stays out there above ground with Charlton Heston who she betrayed, kind of, maybe. Um, oh, clearly. And, and she didn't, you know, melt away or anything like that. I'm like, well, what the hell is that all about? I mean, again, it, oh, Christ, I mean, I have a hole. It's not obvious. <laughs> plot hole. <laughs> yeah, there was, there was, I mean, that was a big plot hole, without a doubt. And, and like I said, I think this is, you know, this is definitely one of those movies that my memories of it, much younger or a lot, uh, I think I overlooked a lot of that at the time. Whereas you watch it now with a little bit more critical eye and you're like, man, this, th yeah, there's a lot of plot holes. Um, well, back when it first came out and you were a young person, you had nothing really to compare it to. It was pretty unique. Well, see, but that, that's just it. And I think that's, you know, what we kind of keep going back to because, you know, like it says, you know, when this movie came out, you know, it's, you know, six, seven years later, you got Star Wars. And it just completely transformed everything in terms of what you saw on sci-fi. And like you said, Ken, you know, you know, there weren't, I mean, when you look at, in fact, I was on IMDb and there's, it, it there's a, uh, when I typed in Omega Man to get some of the stuff, they actually have a thing that says sci-fi movies from 1970 to 79. This is some of the stuff that's out there. I mean, some of it's pretty good. You had A Clockwork Orange. You got, Andro yeah. you got Andromeda Strain. Omega, Omega Man's definitely out there. Westworld. You got, good. You got Soylent Green. Good. Um, Dark Star. Soylent Green's a good movie, by the way. Dark yeah. Star. Dark Star. <laughs> okay. You got Death Race. You got his first movie, by the way, I think. Who's? Uh, do that? Not Hey. No, I think it's, isn't it Lucas's first movie? No, this uh, is, uh, that's CHX one one three eight or whatever with Rubber uh, Ball. Yeah. So you got uh, Death Race two thousand, which we did. Yeah. Uh, you got Logan's Run. Yeah, sucks. Uh, yeah, it's that's I mean, you're right. You got it was John Carpenter. I'm sorry. Yeah, you got Starcraft. I failed the test. Um, yeah, you, you had some good actors in Logan's Run, by the way, for the record. 
Oh, you got sucks. great actors. You got Michael it York. You got Jenny Bombay. You got Michael York. You got Jenny Gutter, Richard Jordan. Um, I mean, you had a lot of actors, but, but that's what I mean. It's like, I'm, I'm reading off these movies from the seventies and yeah, silent running. Um, the girl from starship Venus. So, I mean, I missed that one somehow. Well, you're, that, I'm amazed. That that but you won't you tomorrow. Missed. I think John Holmes is in that one too. Just, just, just so you know, you can watch the entire one hour and 56 minutes of dark star on, on YouTube. Yeah. Well, just so you know, Brian, I don't know if you ever saw which, this which one. Which is a sad statement, by the way. <laughs> Brian, I don't know if you saw this one. It's 2069, A Sex Odyssey. That was from 1974. So. Here we go. Probably probably saw it. But my point being is, is that this is what was out there. This is what this is what constituted science fiction during the decade of the 70s. And it was, by and large, shit. Yeah, you know, I mean, we say that, and and the reality is, if you go back to the fifties, you had the thing, which is is really damn good. You had Forbidden Planet, which is really damn good. Something probably none of us have seen. I haven't seen it all with you. On the beach, talk about a great apocalyptic movie. On the beach is On the beach is incredible. a good movie. Very incredible. Very talk about depressing, by the way. Uh, and it had a hell of a cast in it, as I recall. Yes, uh, th- there were some good movies. But this movie was so wrapped into the seventies. I mean, that, that, to me, that's the issue. And, and a lot of the seventies sci-fi movies were. They were like it, it was like a movie of the week. Which, by the way, when I grew up, there was there was a movie of the week. You yeah. know, on Tuesdays or whatever night. Right. You are and, right, and that's exactly what this was. Yeah. It was a movie of the week movie. It was, and. and and again, some of the shit was good. I mean, Columbo was the you know showed up on a movie of the week, and McCloud showed up movie of the week. That's how they got their start. But but this was this was a movie that did not in any way attempt to extend itself. I mean, yeah, you had the you had the kind of uh, the weird '60s protest thing, and you had the interracial romance, which again was kind of a I guess you know revolutionary. And, and, and for, but by the way, back it up a little bit. Well, well, I, well I'll forget. I'll talk about actors. I'm seeing you'll talk about actors later. I, I want to speak on behalf of Tess and just how cool a guy he was. But, uh, but, uh, but it was it was pretty cliche, Ken. I mean, I mean, you're right. Was, no, you're right. It, it was seventies cliche. It is. It is a cliche of you know pop culture, mass market, you know. 60s anti-war counterculture themes. Heston Heston did some movies in that time of his life, you know, you know, Planet of the Apes and Soylent Green, frankly. That that Soylent Green may have some 70-ish features to it, but those movies to me work well outside of the the, the, the typical 70s genre or 60s genre. Uh, this movie just fell right into place. Again, I you know I I could have come home from school that night. It's like, hey, it's Tuesday night, movie of the week. Um, Omega Man. Oh, next week, it's uh, Beta Man. You know, I mean, it, it was the movie of the week. It really was. This movie Brian, is I, shite. I'm I, sorry. Brian, I agree, I agree with you. And I think, and I, I don't know if I love Heston. I mean, look, he's, he's, I hate to say this. God knows I hate to fucking say this. But I love, I love Clint Eastwood. Okay. And, 
watching this, but I, to me, Charlton Heston, I mean, he has such an air on the movie screen of, look at me, aren't I great? And it, this is one of those movies where it just seems like he kind of sashays through this movie like, I'm Charlton Heston, and I am bringing this movie up a couple of levels. And it's it's annoying to me at times, where where it's he he just seems to be out of place at times. And maybe uh, it goes to Charlton didn't have the same body I did when he was forty seven because you know I mean he wasn't really strapped like me so. <laughs> Well, you no, know, that, that guy was, hey, look, he's 50 years old, roughly. I, no, no, I think he was mid-40s I mean, when he did this. He's a I, specimen. I give you that. But, yeah. I mean, he just has the air about him. And and just, I mean, in I, I mean, just his cavalierness throughout the movie. To me, it's just, in, in the current life-threatening situation. Now, I understand he's immortal to the... To the bacteria and to the you know, the virus that's going around, but uh, he has a legion of people that's trying to kill him, and and he's just he's just kind of like he's walking through the park through the whole movie. He's toying with them. Well, hell, hell, I mean, he goes one thing. He's got a fifty caliber machine gun on his roof. I mean, wait till they get out the trigger machine, just mow it down, and he's done with it. When, when when we go apocalyptic, where can I pick up a fifty cal? Can somebody tell me where I need to drive by to pick up one of those? Go around. National Guard armor. I will tell you that's one of the reasons I never got into The Walking Dead was in the first season they had several scenes where they drove through or walked through and there's cases of ammunition and you know saws and M16s and they were like oh we can't be bothered to pick this up we got we have swords and crossbows so like we don't need this because it's cool Ken it's cool you you can. Well, I, I mean, in, in this movie, he's sitting there watching freaking Woodstock. Like, first off, I, w- I could piss on Woodstock. Is, is, I mean, Hell there's no movies problem. out there. Woodstock ain't going to be the movie I'm going to sit there and watch. So he's Not watching amazing. Woodstock, and I'm serious. I got a bunch of freaking homicidal maniacs rolling out about 6 or 7 o'clock. My ass is locked down at 3. <laughs> right? That's it. Brian, I mean, uh, that's exactly I mean, right. I, I'm See, not going to frick around like, oh, shit, it's getting dark. No, hell no. I mean, right. I mean see, the only thing I'm going to see dark is out my window on the 37th floor behind bars. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to be out there gallivanting around. And, I'm sorry. That's one of the things I like about the movie I Am Legend is you're exactly right. In that movie, Will Smith is like, sun's going down. His only thought is getting behind secure doors. That's his only thought. Three hours early. Right, right. And there's scenes in the movie, and maybe we should do that at some point. There's scenes in the movie where it's like, he is detained from doing that. And he makes bad decisions because his whole focus is, I'm going to be fucked here soon if I do not get to safety. And so he makes like bad choices because of that. And I think that, but you're right. I mean, it's like, you know, you got guys shooting flaming, I don't know what the hell they were, hula hoops or something to his, you know, to his balcony. And he's just sauntering on over like, I, I'll, I'll take my fire extinguisher and I'll just, you know, walk on over here. I mean, it's like, it, it kind of reminds me of that scene of Apocalypse Now where they're going down the river and they're like, I am not afraid of these guys shooting, 
arrows and spears at us. The next thing you know, somebody's got a giant sucking chest wound because of one of these spears. Yeah. And it's, I mean, that's the way it should be, but he's just over there at the balcony, like, you know, whatever princess waving to them and just like, okay, I'm just going to pick a few of you off and drive you away. It's just, it. Yeah. Because it it seemed like he wanted to get rid of them because he's always that he's always like, I wonder where their layer is. Well, at one point they're all standing right below your building, burning books. You got a 50 cal up there. You could have cleaned house right then and there and been done with it. Which you don't really see until the end of the movie. Right. Right. I mean, at, at the end of the movie, I'm like, I see him at the rooftop, you know, whatever, you know, filling up kerosene uh, generators or something. And it's like, is that a 50 cow there? And why are you not up there just like turning people to cottage cheese with that thing? Right. Well, I will say that's the thing I liked about I Am Legend. When I watched I Am Legend, if you watch, again, that's a Will Smith movie came out a few years ago based on the same story. But that guy had scavenged around and like, Every door and every window had like an M4 carbine just laying against the wall, just in case you need it. Because you could, right? I mean, because yeah. you, you, yes, I, I agree. That I, I enjoyed that movie, and because there were a lot of things that were done to the to what we're talking about here. That there's things that we like. We have an issue with this, but I am Legend takes care of a lot of the things we have issue with. It's like, yeah. why wouldn't you do this? Oh, and in I Am Legend, they do that. Because that's what you would do. It's almost like, it, this was one of the things that was going through my mind as I'm watching this movie. I thought, okay. I started thinking about, you know, we, we've always railed on um, remakes and uh, of movies. And I, and I, and I, started, I started thinking, okay, do we, do we remake movies because they were done, we feel they can, we can, because we want to do better, we want to do better, or do we remake movies because um, it's an homage to, to what we've done? Head. Yes, and you know, and and I am legend. I mean, this this one here, um, this movie that we're reviewing. I don't even know what the, the Omega Man. Um, it's it's based off of a book that was written in what the nineteen fifties. You know, The Last Man by Matheson, Richard Matheson, who is arguably one of the best writers of, uh, of uh, one of the best in general, I think, screenplay, screenplay writers, but, but one of the best writers of uh, science fiction and kind of, you know, uh, you know, imaginary fiction. I think he did The Incredible Shrinking Man and other stuff, but he just died a few years ago, by the way, uh, but... He, he was, he was, is, and was, and rightfully was considered brilliant. Uh, the first movie that was done was the, the Last Man after the book with Vincent Price, which I, I saw. I don't have much memory of. It might have been closer. I don't know. But Matheson's a genius. He, he's a freaking genius, by the way. Was a if if you consider where we were at in the 1950s and the you know, and the theoretical physics that was you know being talked about during that time, you know, I was talking to my wife not too long ago about you know some of the books that we hold near and dear to our heart that were that were written in the 60s and 70s that were futuristic sci-fi that in fact in 2018 are no longer futuristic sci-fi it's either that or we are living in that sci-fi area when you start talking about the technolo- technology that we're that that was that was theorized back then when you start talking about 
lasers and you start talking about rail guns and you start talking about um, you know some of the other things that were theorized back then um there were some really communicators there was yes um you know you know we we look at aliens and we're like oh hey look there's there's a you know a video phone right there wouldn't that be cool to have we're we're living that there there were some great writers during this time period that were you know that had done their research that were you know big forward thinkers that that wrote some great things um unfortunately like 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 anything it doesn't they can't transfer the their great book writing to to the screen and so I often wonder, okay, do we do we remake movies because it's an easy fix or because we can think we can do it better? What you know, which one is it? Because in my opinion, I Am Legend is a far superior book or movie to 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 Omega Man. Again, I, I haven't seen it. It would be a very freaking low bar, frankly. I mean Honestly, you know, between the, the shitty movie and the shitty soundtrack, which I probably could do it in my backyard, and I, I you know, I, I'm the biggest technophobe in the world, but, you know, between me and my dog Max and Sheila, which all of us are you know, idiots <laughs> with technology, we could probably have done this movie. But it was the 70s. I mean, but... In its day, it was, I remember it was seen as a solid show. Oh, when, yeah. when Ken, when Steve said, let's do Omega Man, you saw my comment. I'm like, hell yes. And then I watched it. <laughs> and then two hours later, you're texting me like, I, I, I don't even know where to begin about the soundtrack. I'm bitching the whole time. I'm like, I, I, I'm like, you know, the, the old saying is like, those are two hours I'll never get back. And, you know, I, I'm like, you know, bear in mind, you know, you're looking at a guy that will do, you know, fucking play marbles for two hours and have no problem with it. But... <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sitting there going, are you fucking shitting me? I watched this movie. This this was, again, I, honest to God, seriously. Planet of the Apes. Planet of the Apes is a hell of a movie. It uh, is. It really is. Here's a here's a theoretical question. I'm hearing you. I understand it. I, I know where you're coming from. But if we could take this movie, just remove the entire soundtrack, the entire musical <laughs> That's and insert, and insert some just generic <laughs> high impact action movie soundtrack. <laughs> would the movie be fifty percent improved? Yes, it would be. No, <laughs> it wouldn't. No, no, Jeff, Jeff, we're, we're starting like at five percent. <laughs> Look, the soundtrack takes it to ten. <laughs> for, for the record, okay. Look. Deep Blue oh, Sea has some sorry. stiff competition with this movie for low the the the, the bottom of the run. All right, but this still comes ahead of Deep Blue Sea. Okay, we we were talking about the technology of movies, and uh, you know the irony is I don't know what year. Well, no, it was sixty eight. Sixty eight when two thousand one came out, and and actually Steve watched Steve watched and, and made some comments about some hours he will never get back. Uh, watching Ice Station Zebra, which Slover and I, I think, a lot, a lot. But, but, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. You're going to chuckle this. Ice Station Zebra. You remember those those three Soviet MiGs that were like on a stick? I mean, they were, they were like a, they were on a stick. Remember those? They were like on a stick. Ice Station Zebra. No. Ice Station Zebra was up against... 2001 for the Oscar for special freaking effects that year. 
So I'm like, so you got three Soviet MiGs on a stick <laughs> in 2001. Who the fuck is going to win that one? <laughs> I, and I'm not making this shit up. That's, that's the God's truth. They were up against each other for, <laughs> for special effects. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? I mean, High Station Zebra is not a good movie. It's I not, like it. It just you know. Speaking of reason I like it, Ken Robert McGowan, <laughs> who was in Braveheart. Yeah, I, I try to watch. it. I was having to give myself adrenaline shots just to keep getting through that movie. But anyway, have we talked about actors? Yeah, let's mm. let's do actors. Heston is a, an interesting guy. I mean, he came. I mean, he literally started like nearly. I mean, his his era started like in the early fifties, and again. It was big. I mean, and he was always at epics. So it, it, it emphasized, frankly, overacting. I'll just say it. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yes. I like Heston. I like Heston. The movies that I've enjoyed him in. By the way, by the Tombstone. way. What's that? Tombstone. He went in Tombstone. He was in Tombstone. Heston? Yes. yes. I'm going to have to go back. What? Heston wasn't in Tombstone. Charlton Heston was in Tombstone. Yes. With, uh, he was a tombstone. Oh shit, you, you, See, sir! Well, you are not, you're clearly not a fan of tombstone. Then well, I'm apparently I'm drunk. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that too. Well, that too. But uh, oh shit, I, I it was not particularly well. In, in any event, going back, he was in uh, there was a there was a circus movie that he, he was with, with Red Skelton. I think was in the movie. Uh, that was a big movie for him. He was in uh, an Orson Welles movie, uh, shit, where he played a, 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 Hispan a Mexican uh, policeman. Yeah, that actually got some nominations. Uh, obviously, you know, we all know Ben Hur and you know all, all that. But Heston, as a guy, uh, you know, we, we we have Michael Moore, who you know basically gets him when he's dying, and, and you know, and try and you know, kind of shits on him, which Michael Moore can burn in hell, as far as I'm concerned. I hope he does. Uh, but, <laughs> ladies, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, send all hate mail to Deuteronomy Skaggs. Yeah, yeah no, Michael that, Moore can burn in hell. Yeah, you know, there you go. Movie and, and hopefully he will if all is right in the world. Here we go. Heston marched with Martin Luther King. Heston was, you know, from a from from that era, he was a, a guy who was at the cutting edge of many things of, of, of social change back then. And this to see him in this movie, you know, playing this this again this this racial aspect, which again seems kind of cliche now. Uh, but that was Heston. Heston was that guy, and uh, you know, and you know, now we, you know, now all we think about Heston was is the Second Amendment and Michael Moore, you know, shitting on him. Uh, but uh, Heston was a guy who was on the, the absolute cutting edge of a lot of the things that we consider very important today. Um, I like Heston. I, I mean, you know, I, I recognize that he absolutely could over again. I, I, I made the, the comparison between him and Vincent Price, uh, and I love Vincent Price too, by the way. Uh, but I, Heston was a, was an important guy in American cinema, from my perspective. Not well, good in this movie, but the movie sucked. So there. I've got to say a thing about Heston, and that is, we were talking about possibly doing Ben Hur as a review and i still say we need to do it because like that is a manly movie but it, it's 
If you want a good Heston movie, I think Ben-Hur is one of his best works. The best movie I saw Heston in was Will Penny with Anthony Zerbe, who was in this movie. And by the way, that movie, Heston is plays it like Eastwood. He barely talks in the whole movie. It's a hell of a movie if you guys haven't seen it. He, he is an old, worn-out cowboy, and it's a great-ass movie. But Anthony Zerba's in, and I think I actually think Lee Majors might be in. I don't know, uh, but that to me is is one of my maybe my favorite movie with Heston. Steve and I talked about this one time, and and, and, and Charlton Heston. I mean, there's look, there's nothing wrong with him. He's a byproduct of the period that he grew up in, and yes. and and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just times were changing during the '70s and '80s, and. The thing that Steve and I had got into, I can't remember what, God, if I remember what episode this was. I, God, I, I, shit, my memory is far better than I give it credit for. It, we, we were talking about, I'm pretty sure it had to do with Spartacus, that you know, he comes from the age of like stage acting. And, yeah. and, and that is how he comes across as like this great stage actor, which is fine. But in the 70s and 80s, you're, you're, we're transitioning away from that. And, and I think that that, you know, looking back now, we don't, we're not used to stage actors. You know, we're look we're more used to, you know, I don't want to say polished actors, because God knows we like Bruce Willis, um, where, where they are acting in front of a screen and not on a stage. Uh, and, but in this movie, it just, it, it, at times it takes me out of it. I don't, I'm not taking anything away from Charlton Heston. He's a very talented, um, an accomplished actor for the period that he grew up in. Um, you know, it's just it's generational. Well, I mean, Jeff, they they talk about you know the difference between stage and screen is that you know Eastwood is a Eastwood is a perfect screen actor, right? You know, he's you know you know an eyebrow moves, there's a twitch of the jaw or whatever. On the stage, I mean, shit. I mean, your, your jaw twitches. You you have to like pull your chin back. I mean, you know, <laughs> your jaw. I mean, I mean, you know, the stage actor has to overact because right. people can't see it. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily translate well to the screen. And you know, again, Eastwood, awesome stage actor, screen actor. My guess is he would just suck. You know, well, not not my guess. He would suck on the on the stage. But he was perfect for the time. Um, the director is Boris Segal. Uh, I don't. I don't think it's related to Stephen. Um, He's Segal's dad. May, he may be, but you know this yeah. guy's from the Ukraine. You, we've talked about this movie before. You guys have, and and I remember even then how bad it was. But you guys are from. He directed World War Three. Oh gosh, that was a horrible show. It, it was a horrible show. But did you guys know that the, that was his last movie that he made? World War Three. I don't even know. I don't. I don't even know it. It was a TV movie for TV with David Soul. It was a made-for-TV movie. Um, it had, it it did have some actors that are pretty memorable in it. Um, That's not the Christopherson movie, is it? No, it it had no, um, it's David Soul, Rock Hudson. Um, oh, that Brian, sounds right. Bad right up from the start. It's That's not just, good. It's terrible. Brian Dennehy. Anyway. The the thing I wanted to bring up so so he made he made a he he did a lot of TV stuff he did the Twilight Zone, um, some Alfred Hitchcock presents um, Peter Gunn the Man from Uncle he did a lot of TV stuff and I mean and you get that especially in the the last half of the movie because I mean it looks like a made for TV movie basically 
but he died during the production of World War Three. The question I have is, do you guys know how he died? Do well, I want to know? Was it like David Carradine night or something? Helicopter blade. Oh, shit. Oh, I'll ruin your day. He got out of a helicopter and, wait for it, was partially decapitated after walking into the tail rotor blades of a helicopter in the parking lot of the lodge they were in. Oh, gosh. How exactly do you walk in... Well, never mind. It said happen. it happens. An investigation revealed that he turned the wrong way when exiting the helicopter. He died five hours later in a Portland hospital. All right. Well, there you go. We've we've talked enough about Charlton Heston and a couple <laughs> of other things, and uh, so we're going to move on to uh, one of our other favorite parts of this show, and that is uh, brother, what you drinking? And um, hey, Jeff. Why don't we go over to you? You were obviously drinking something because we, been, we heard it coming out the other end. I've been drinking a lot tonight. I, I could, came we, home. We know. I, I was at work today <clears throat> because this is what people in my line of work talk about is drinking. Um, and uh, so we were, we were talking about uh, you know some of our favorite drinks and bourbons and stuff. And so uh, we got on the topic of uh, old fashions and the proper way of making an old fashion. And came home and I, I walked through the door, you know, kissed my wife, kissed my kids, um, you know, kissed his ass, Kiss your you know, ass. whatever. <laughs> and, um, and so I, I started making, uh, old fashions, you know, for, uh, about four forty-five. What's in an old fashioned? Well, an old fashioned is, is basically this. You take, uh, either some, sh- uh, you know, about a tablespoon or a teaspoon of uh, sugar, muddle it in water with, uh, some bitters, about three dashes. And, um, after you get it all muddled up, the problem was I don't, my, I can't find my muddler. So, um, I just happened to have some simple syrup on hand. And, um, and so you, you take a, you take a little bit of that and take some bitters, um, mix it with your bourbon and, uh, put it on ice. Uh, you're supposed to crush it with a, uh, maraschino cherry, which I did just cause I like cherries and, uh, you know, put it on ice and, uh, and you drink. Um, it's not very nice, refreshing cocktail. Um, so to use that, um, um, I use the, uh, Rock Hill, um, from Rock Hill bourbon, which, uh, is that, good, is that good bourbon or bad bourbon? I don't know. It, it is, uh, it's, it's, it's a pretty, uh, pretty middle of the road bourbon. Okay. Um, whenever I'm making my man, sure when, tell us. When, whenever I'm using my, uh, my old, whenever I'm making old fashions, I, I do not, I do not thump the book of Jaquan and use Woodford or something like that. But, um, but anyways, I had some rock kill laying around here somewhere. And so, um, I put that in there cause I'm out of Jefferson and cause that's also, I also put, but, um, but no, it, um, so I'm on about my fourth one and, um, and, uh, you know, I'm having a good time. Thanks for having me. Nice. Muncie out. Uh, Reverend, what do you got? Well, Steve, uh, obviously I've not been drinking, um, uh, and, um, you said you've been drunk and drinking for two days now. Yeah, well, kind of. Uh, but, you know, since, you know, I, I got home at 9.35 and my wife was like, I was up driving up and down the streets looking for you. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I just ran across the street. You were gone for an hour and a half. <laughs> so I'm stone sober. Uh, you know, you know I'm, I'm good. Uh, just a little, little, 
touch of vodka. Just a touch. Touch? Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. I'm just I'm just throwing back some uh some simple Beck's beer. Oh wow. Yeah. That's different. Yeah. Yeah, just I don't know. I I had a taste for some uh, good German beer and I thought, you know, Beck's that's that's a good German beer, so it's a it's a solid beer. I enjoy the Beck's. Yeah. It is. Beck's is good. Yep, like Beck's. I thought it I, I thought he did nice, Steve. I I saw Killian's in the uh, in the beer aisle, okay. and uh, and I thought of you, and I, I immediately started looking for uh, for some Strohs, and I couldn't find it. Yeah, Killian's is a step up from Strohs, man. It is a step up, yes, definitely. So. Are you still getting little kings today anywhere? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I saw it. Really? It was right next to the Becks. Seriously, you're not you're you're not pulling my leg. No, they've got. I mean, you can get Killian or uh, uh, little kings. In fact, there was all, they had a whole case of it over at Big Red. So. They used to be seventy-five cents on Monday nights at uh, the pawn shop uh, when I was a freshman at Butler. Hmm. I don't know if that's a good price or a bad price. Sounds pretty damn cheap to me, uh, even today. Well, shit, it is today. Uh, but you know, seventy-five cent Little King's Night on Monday nights after class in nineteen eighty. Wow. All um, right. Well, there you go. That is uh, that's what I'm drinking. So um, last and certainly, I think I was in third grade in nineteen eighty. Oh, screw you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And last and certainly not least. It's now time for Catching Up with Ken. My darling, All right, Ken, what sounds good? Well, I haven't been that awful busy since the last podcast. Uh, The highlights of my last week were... I went down to Louisville on Saturday with a friend of mine. She was she shopped online for a car, and I went down and uh, hung, you know, went down and joined her for a car purchase and lunch. And when we got finished at uh, buying the car, which took a long time, and it was kind of funny because I just tagged along for you know keep her company. And when we went into the dealer, I made a big deal about like I'm just like a friend hanging out here. Don't worry about me. But we, when the introductions were done, it's like, well, what do you do? I said, well, I'm an attorney. I work for this insurance company. Basically, it turns out in the negotiations that ensued for the car purchase, the dealership assumed that I was her legal counsel there to, like, you know, enforce contract <laughs> law upon them. And it's like, I'm just here for maybe get a free meal out of them. I'm just, like, hanging out. But she actually was able to get a better deal because I was there. I was kind of happy about that. And uh, coming back, we ducked off the road coming back and went to uh, Nashville, Nashville, Indiana, in scenic Brown County, to the Big Woods uh, Brew Pub down there. We had some beers down there. Gloried in her new car. It was a very cool little Volkswagen. Once I got back, uh, back on Tuesday, I went down to Metazoa, which is a pub brewery which is right next to my office. It is actually in, in uh, our office. We often refer to Metazoa as the Northeast meeting room. We have <laughs> conference rooms. It is the Northeast conference room. But uh, the reason I was there, it was the season premiere party for Good Bones, 
the HGTV Home Renovation Show based here in Indianapolis. Uh, I know Karen Lane, mother on the mother-daughter team that stars in the show, invited me to come down for that. I hung out with her, her husband, Roger, nice guy, uh, had some beers, and watched the show. And you know, Metazoa is a very dog-friendly spot. They, they actually go out of their way to encourage people to bring your pets down here. Technically, if you brought your ferret, your cat, or something like that, you'd be fine. But basically, it's a very dog. After that, I mean, I did a lot of work. Tonight, I went to the gym, worked out, left there, stopped off at the wine market in Fountain Square, because I'm doing one of my bar of the month gatherings. Left there because I had a little time to kill. Went to the Brass Ring, which, which is, is not a strip club. The, the lovely and talented Tammy was there hosting the bar, and I had a couple drinks to fill some time. And then I left there and went to my friend's uh, dinner party. Had a dinner party to attend. And it was actually a very nice dinner party, big party. About 20 people were there. Main course was steak and uh, twice baked potatoes. The theme, if there is a theme, because this is, you know, this couple I know. She always makes it a point to bring in people that like are interesting, and you know, maybe she doesn't know them, but she invites them and they come. And uh, this had a musical theme. One of the parts of that theme was uh, there's a couple I know, Michael Durrell, Amanda, and Amanda is very talented. Uh, Amanda was a contestant in American Idol, very excellent singer. Uh, and from what I understand, look at the Facebook, I mean, they're out there singing and everything right now as we speak. And I, I also met uh, Christy Lee. From Bob and Tom. Yeah, as I know, from the Bob and Tom show. She was there, and uh, we had a nice conversation and all. She does a podcast, too, which I've listened to. It's a very good podcast. I'll put in a plug for Christy's podcast. Uh, and also, there was a guy, a uh, gentleman, who I won't name his regular name, but he Back in the days on WNAP, his DJ name was Fast Freddy Fever. He was a big DJ. Oh, my God. I remember that. Oh, yeah. So, like, again, it was a musical-themed dinner party, and I had a good time. And then I bailed out early, made my apologies, and came up here to do the podcast. So that's that's that. I hate to say this, but I really could not have blamed you if you had just stayed and hung out with some of the cooler people. Yeah, you're really you're really trolling right now, Ken. Just for the record, <laughs> I am trolling, and I know that. And I, as a matter of fact, you know, a little bit ago, I checked on Facebook while we were talking, and there's a they had a little video clip of Amanda and my friend Joe Ramos. You know, she he was playing the car the guitar, and she was singing, and I had to pop in and just say, basically, I'm a loser. I mean, I, I left this party and came to this podcast to hang out with you dudes all i know is i will i will i will kill to get a video from your mexican cowboy night from some weeks back I, I we have one, we have one picture there is one picture i knew there would be footage <laughs> well and i will i will point it out here uh you know i'm having my annual house party at the end of the month you guys are all invited please come because these people will be there i mean you can travel with them too. get to know who i'm talking about Christy Lee will be here. Christy Lee will be at your home. She can't. I actually invited her, but she can't because she's doing a charity event that night. Oh, uh, okay. So, but anyways, that's it for me. Move on. All right. 
Guys, we're going to move on to uh, our other favorite part of the show, and that's clips. And I only have a few because there's really not a whole lot in the way of clips in this movie. So, uh, let's see. Uh, number one. And oh, brothers and sisters, I ask you to look at him. Does he have the marks? Do you see them? No. You see him as we were before the punishment, before we gained grace. You see lying there the last of scientists, of bankers, of businessmen, the users of the wheel. That would be Jeff, a user of the wheel. <laughs> All right. You know, when I was watching this, and this aspect of this movie, what hit me is about a year or two after this, there's these two guys wrote a book. Uh, they're called Larry Niven and Jerry Purnell. <laughs> you may have heard of them. You may have read the books. And remember in Lucifer's Hammer, they had the zombie sort of cannibal army. And I was going like, did they steal that from this movie? Lucifer's Hammer. Jeff, did you read that? I, I haven't. I've read the Prince series, which, you know, I absolutely love. And oh, God wish he would have. I wish he would have came out with a follow-up to his last book there. Oh, I mean, yeah. Christ, I wanted so much to know what happened. But, yeah. I, I, it's one of the few series where you have a villain that is, is a great villain, right? And you're like, I want, I want them to die and I want to know how they die. Well, that's because S. M. Sterling loves his villains more than he loves his heroes. Cause he co-wrote that last book with, with Cornell, which is, I'm getting off the rails, but yeah. Larry Niven and Jerry Purnell, favorite authors of mine. And they, they produced several, novels which could have easily be turned straight into screenplays and would have made great movies but they were just not formulaic enough for hollywood all right let's go on to the next clip <laughs> <laughs> thank you steve yep he has no place here he has the stink of oil and electrical circuitry about him he is obsolete you are discarded you are the refuse of the past. You're full of crap. <laughs> I got your third one here. Yeah, I got I got your third one right here. All right, next. All right, you son of a bitch, you just hold tight. Up against the wall, you mother. Uh-uh, don't turn, just stand. When I want you to turn, I'll turn you on or off, up or around. I'll turn you, now cool it. Now put your hands out. Out! Way out by shoulder, I like to go crucify you, baby. I have no well, idea what Steve, the hell she was saying. Steve, that was going to be my opening line until Ken didn't show up, and I said I'm 165, percent you know, Anglo-Saxon. But that, that was uh, it was going to be hands against the wall, mother. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's see last one here because this is all I got. Someone ought to do something about those people. How about it? You going to give them the serum? Fat chance. How come? Well, we'd have to hang around here for a few more months for one thing. For another thing, they're homicidal maniacs, for God's sakes. <laughs> well, that's what I see on a Friday night. Up a, a little bit of the totally inappropriate living, uh, music that they got playing in the background there. Yeah, the, the music in this is just is just horrific. So. The music well, takes I would love to hear Vince talk about the music. 
Well, we're not. We've we're, we've already talked about it, so we're just gonna, <laughs> we're we're going to move on to uh, that's it with clips, folks. Uh, there wasn't that much because there's really not a whole lot of um, cliptastic stuff in this movie. So now that we're done with that, we're going to move on to um, one of the other great parts of this show, and it's the one that Ken takes over for us, and that's called Top Ten of 1971, when which is when this movie came out. So Ken, I do you have it? Did you already do your homework? I did my homework because I, I'm dedicated. Unlike yes. some of these other guys, I know. you know I will always come through. Indeed. Now the thing is, also, it's kind of easy to do 1971 in film because we've done it before. We've actually done other movies. 1971 was a good year for man cave movies. Okay. So I'm going to run through a few movies, which is my wants uh, that did not make the top ten, but nonetheless are of note. So, starting out, we have one that was mentioned already in the podcast. THX 1138. Lucas movie. The very first George Lucas movie with what actor? Robert Duvall. Robert Duvall. Exactly. And uh, another movie that was done in this year, which is a man cave movie. We reviewed it. The Andromeda Strain. Good movie. Michael Crichton's first novel and first movie. Hmm. Another movie which came out this year, a sequel to a movie that we've done. The sequel, of course, did suck, but nonetheless, it was Escape from the Planet of the Apes. Was that which the third also had Charlton Heston in it for a little while. James Franciscus, I think, was in that. Is that my right? Yes, he was the lead. Yeah, they couldn't keep the lead. Another movie which I think everybody knows about, which came out this year, was Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I have not seen that movie since I was a child, and I cannot watch that movie again. It was on uh, this weekend, this week on uh, AMC or something like that. It's kind of a creepy movie. It is very creepy. My kids watch it, and I have to leave the room. Uh, Jeff, I, I agree with you, by the way. I think it's creepy. Don't enjoy it. Another movie which came out this year, I've already commented on the fact that like 1971 was the peak year in a lot of ways for the exploitation movie. Again, these are movies based on the African-American experience in the post-civil rights era. Uh, urban, gritty, realistic dramas. And they had a movie that came out that year that was in this genre. And I think you'll agree that, like, it fit. I mean, this is a movie about this cat who was a bad mother chef. That's who I'm talking about. I did say shut your mouth, but I, I missed say it. shut your mouth. I was waiting. I tried to, like, set it up. And say shut I was on. I was, I mean, I was on mute. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I failed you for the last time. <laughs> You did. Somebody had to say, shut your mouth. But no, Shaft, uh, yeah, Richard Roundtree, very influential movie. Another movie which I don't think we've done, but which we could do, it's a totally man cave movie, a gritty crime drama, The French Connection. That is a man cave movie, man. We've talked about doing that. One of Gene Hackman's earlier roles. Well, getting into the top 10, I'll go through it fast. And number 10, 
We have bed knobs and broomsticks, a totally forgettable Disney family. <laughs> God, was that? Oh my God! <laughs> Keep going. At number nine, a man cave movie because we did do it. A Clockwork Orange. I have never seen that movie. We did that. I am pretty sure we did it. It's a Stanley so. Kubrick movie. Disturbing movie. I'm pretty sure we didn't. Hold on. I have never I haven't done that movie. You guys may have, but Check the I beach cannot, and file. I'm pretty sure we it. did a clockwork I just can't. It, it seems too artsy for us. I think it's Steve Park and I that reviewed it. And number eight. We have Carnal Knowledge with Jack Nicholson, Art Goddard, Margaret, Candace Bergen. It's a comedy drama. It's forgettable. There was some nudity, I think, maybe, hopefully, because I would there love was, to see there, was, there was nudity, and again, we're talking about, you know, as, as I just said, we're talking about Anne Margaret and Candace Bergen. Uh, Ken, the answer is no, we did not do a Clockwork Orange. We did not. We did not. No, I can't believe it. I sworn we reviewed a clock. All right. I blame you. You probably said to do it. <laughs> I probably saw it. <laughs> and number seven, a Peter Bogdanovich movie. I can remember watching this. I thought it was a very good movie. Uh, it's by a story by Larry McMurtry. And Larry McMurtry also wrote what, Brian? Lonesome Dove. Lonesome Dove. Uh, last picture show. Oh shit! Uh, what's his name? Uh, 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 Timothy Bottoms, Jeff Bridges, and Sybil Shepherd. Yeah, last picture show. Not a man cave movie, but a very good dramatic film. Another movie that came out that year, which is not a man cave movie, is The Summer of '42. Uh, Jennifer Mills, the sun right? Uh, Gary Grimes. You're close. Gary Grimes, yes. And Jennifer O'Neill. O'Neill, yeah. A young man's coming of age. Okay. Yeah, I was watching The Girl Slays of Morgan Fay at that point, but that, that yeah, was just no. me. Yeah. And number five. A movie which featured the great line, which went something like, this is my foot, I'm going to put my foot right there on your neck. And that would be Billy Jack. His Billy just, Jack. His wife just died here in the last couple months. So Tom Laughlin is gone, and so is so is his wife. Now Billy Jack was a big movie back in those days, and everybody I I can remember teachers telling me, "Oh, you got to go see Billy Jack." And I can remember watching Billy Jack. I went and saw it. And the thing is, I can remember going to see Billy Jack when it first came out and not being impressed. It sucked. And then I can remember about 1984, 1983, I was visiting my cousin down at Xavier University. And uh, all of these guys in the dorm were like, well, we we're hanging out on Friday night and Billy Jack was playing. Oh, God. And all these guys were like smoking up weeds or passing around joints. And I still remember this guy going like, yeah, man. But I was a young guy, you know, like, I'm, I'm 19 now, back when I was 15. I thought Billy Jack was right on. They were, like, taking on the man. But now I realize they're just a bunch of freaks. I wouldn't want to live down the street from them. 
Uh, well, the thing is, is Laughlin made a shit ton of money because that was an independent movie. That was a a. I mean, it was it was a quirky movie in that yeah, regard. Yeah, he made it with his own money, and he made top five movie. He made yeah. tons of money, and he made several sequels. And number four, a movie which, okay, you don't have to look up at the Beach and Files for this one, Steve. I know we made this a man cave movie. Dirty Harry. Indeed. Yes. Clint Eastwood. <laughs> Actually, I'll take some credit for that. We reviewed that based on, on uh, once I joined in. Right. And movies don't get manlier than that. Nope. At number three, one of the many movies that features the adventures of that English agent, Bond, James Bond, Diamonds Are Forever. That, wasn't that the last uh, Connery movie before... Uh, Never say never. No, this this was a Roger Moore production. Oh, really? Yeah, Roger Moore. Uh, number one, they they they. That, this is the one where they dump Blofeld or the Blofeld esque character down the chimney of a factory. That's Moonraker. No. Oh no! Oh no! You actually, I better back up. You're right. I'm getting it's it Connor. What's that? I am wrong. You are right. Yeah, Connery, Jimmy Dean was in it, and yes. uh, the redheaded chick. Diamonds are forever. Connery, Jimmy Dean, yes. You are and, correct. And the redhead. I'm sorry. What was her name? Jill St. John. Yeah, yeah no, I, I, I've seen her. I, I was looking at her at magazines at the time. A lot. At the truck stop. A lot. At, at the barber shop. <laughs> <of course. laughs> did Boyce Tell Lex involved in this conversation? Uh, a movie which, again, we probably should review someday because we talked about it a second ago. The French Connection. Good movie. You know, it, it, it might be considered slow paced today, weirdly. It probably is. Yep. And finally, at number one, it's a musical uh, Fiddler on the Roof. Wow. If I was a rich man. <laughs> was was Topol in that? Yes. What? Topol, was he in that? Okay. Topol was the star. He started, he, he played the character Tevier. He was also on the Bond movie later. A couple yeah. years. Yes, he was. For years, eyes only. Mm-hmm. But anyways, that's the top 10 movies of 1971. And just to repeat for the listeners, 1971 was a different era than today. It is. Or was, I should say. All right. Well, thanks, Ken. All right, folks. Now we are done with that. We are going to move on to um all right, let's I'm gonna just burn through the checklist here because we're 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 late. So let's I blame Brian. Yeah. It's only twelve oh five, Steve. Yeah. All right, let's see. Number one. <laughs> Did anyone go through a window? <laughs> I, yeah, I, it's pretty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of window breaking and people going through. All right, number two. If you want him, come and claim him. Uh, was there a Liv Tyler role in the movie? I would say her acting chops were Liv Tylerish. She died in '95, I think. She was doing like General General Hospital or something, like, you know, at that point in time. Hmm. 
we didn't really mention the other. I mean, there's only really one female role in the movie. Yeah, you're right. You know, Anthony Zerby was the actually the other guy who who was in a shit ton of stuff over the years. Yeah. All right, let's see. Number three. Son of a bitch must pay. All right, was there a son of a bitch in this movie, and did he pay? No. That's true. Those guys got away. Most of them. I have to make the point. You can look at this movie today. I looked at this movie today with the idea, is Heston's character the bad guy? And if you look at it through that prism, yeah, he paid. Well, that was the original point of the uh, of the novel by Matheson that he was the he was the monster of legend. And, yeah, and the, these other the people they they gotten through. They had a plan, and he's like messing them up. All right, let's see next. <laughs> was there a Wilhelm scream in this movie? Yeah i I think there was a a dude that had fallen off a balcony or something, and we got a Wilhelm scream. I well, I'm going to take your word for it because I don't remember. It was about halfway through the movie. Okay, he had taken. He was taking out a bunch of people, and somebody fell. And I remember, was it was a the? I think it was a Wilhelm scream. All right, if you say so, I'll I'll go with it. I'll take your word for it. Uh, Let's see next. Uh, could the female role be better played by Tony Katane? Oh, hell yes. Tony Katane thing, so that's just me. Okay. 1971 Tony Katane, the, like, what, nine-year-old Tony Katane? No, I don't think. No, the in her prime Tony Katane. In her prime Tony Katane, yes. All right, next. <laughs> Was there an AT montage in this movie? No. I didn't see one either. All right. Let's see. Last and certainly not least. And so it begins. Was there a Babylon 5 reference in this movie? Jeff? No. There wasn't? There's no. like seven people in this movie. <clears throat> yeah, and half of, them were, half of them were dead before B5 started. I'm not kidding. Nothing. <laughs> Half of them died before them. You know, if Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. had been in the movie, uh, there might have been, but he wasn't. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go, folks. That is it with the Man Cave Movie Review Checklist. Now it is time to move on to the review of this great and fantastic film. So, Brian, what do you think? Mod Squad versus the Zombies. Four. <laughs> <laughs> Shittiest well, soundtrack I've ever heard. Oh my god! Oh, Brian. you know he's he's got a point. He's got a point. Oh, oh my god! Um, Jeff, what what are your what are your thoughts? Oh, I I don't, I don't know if I have any thoughts about this movie anymore. Um, interesting idea for a movie. Um. You know, there, there, there are some, you know, there, there are a lot of social commentaries here that I think may be worth viewing. I, I think this movie might just be worth seeing one time. Um, I, I, I think, 
I think you could. If I think it would be better sitting with a group of people, a small group of people, and watching it together to talk about some of the things that, um, like I said, the social commentary involved, um, some of the themes of the movie. Um, you know, I don't know if Mystery Science Theater three thousand ever did this movie, but they should. Um, I I think it's. I, I I think it's an it's an interesting um, introduction to the whole dystopian future type of genre. Um, Charlton Heston is Charlton Heston. I mean, if you like him, uh, he's he's. I'm not gonna say he chews scenery, and I don't think it's his greatest work. But I mean, you get what what he is. Um, that said, uh, I mean, it's it's we're not talking we're we're talking approaching deep blue sea quality but but even then i still think this is there's there's just a better story here than deep blue sea um uh, so we're, we're not going to get lower than that because you know if there's if there's bedrock this you can't go much lower than mantle and we're not going there so um so i um four it's an interesting barb right <laughs> i I, 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 I just, I don't really don't want to put any more thought into this than I have to. So I'm just going to agree with Brian on four. All right, Ken. I have a two part answer. (laughs) (laughs) Just don't know if it's warranted here. No, this is what I'm going to say. Ken, please. We've, we've touched on it. When this movie came out in its day, 1971, it was a creepy movie. I can remember watching it. I was impressed by it back then. The things we talked about didn't jump out because I was totally immersed in it, like the movie of the week, cinematography, and the bad soundtrack. Well, that's that was everywhere. But in terms of the story, in 1971, it probably would have been a 7, maybe an 8. I probably really liked it back then. I, I know I liked it. I can remember I did like it. But looking at it today with today's history, you know, the cinematography, the effects, everything we deal with today, it suffers. Again, Omega Man, important in its day, hasn't worn well. Although parts do, and we sort of touched on that. Omega Man, which Will Smith did a few years ago, is essentially the same story, a little more modern. With all that, if I'm going to give it a review, I'm not going to give it a four. That's pretty low. Again, four is like, I don't like it. I'm not going to say I don't like it. When I watched it, I was just kind of disappointed because it wasn't what I remember. So I'm going to give it a five. I can't say I like it, but I'm going to respect what it was. Fair enough. You know, I'm, you know, I'm kind of in the same boat probably with you are. I think this movie, I had better memories of it when I saw it ages ago versus, um, what I'm seeing now. Cause obviously it, it didn't age well. I think we all agree with that. Um, oh, yeah. the, and I, and I think really what stood out, what, what really made it bad was the music. I, I we really can't emphasize enough how bad the soundtrack is because the music simply just does not fit i mean there are parts of it where it's like i said just the opening scene music 
Um, I remember my wife has never seen this movie. She's never seen it. And I started playing like the opening scene music. And she's like, she had like images of some, some chick driving in a convertible along like a beach coast or something like that. And I said, well, cause she, she was thinking it was some kind of like, you know, chick flick drama thing from the seventies. I'm like, no, it was actually Charlton Heston driving in a convertible through the downtown streets of LA. <laughs> and it's just, but that's what she's like. She goes, it doesn't, and none of the music fit i mean even especially like when you heard that one music and i should have got a clip of it but that one scene when you know when they're out there burning the books and they're screaming neville and he's like you people leave me alone and you know he goes out there with the uh, and and the music that they're playing it's like where where did you get this shit it's terrible i mean it was light 70s syntho pop yeah it, it was it was really bad and it didn't fit you no, know, it, it took you out of it. Yeah, it really if, did. If they would have had no music at all, it would have been a better movie. Right. Um, I mean, this I, is the worst soundtrack I, I think I've ever heard in a Man Cave movie. Yeah. Just for the record. This movie needed a John Carpenter soundtrack is what it needed. But but that being said, and I don't want to dwell too much more on that, but anyway, it, again, it's, I mean, I would recommend if you've never seen it, Go watch it. It's, you know, if, if you got an hour and a half or, or two hours to kill and you got nothing else going on, I mean, it's worth watching just to see Heston. Um, and just to, you know, and if you're into the seventies sci-fi movies for what they were at that point, you know, this definitely, you're not going to get disappointed here because this gives you that, that whole look and feel of the seventies. But, um, I'm going to go a little bit higher than Brian. I'm going to give it a five. It simply does not hold up anymore. So overall, we're giving this a four point five. Yeah, that's. If you endured Zardoz, or even thought about enduring Zardoz, um, Zardoz is fucking great. What are you talking about? Zardoz, you actually had better acting in it. You had better production quality. Lots of boobs. Yeah, and you had boobs. No, and no. Oh, jeez. There, there were boobs in this movie. No, I didn't see any. Yeah. Oh my God! I I might watch Ryan, it. Ryan, you're you're failing us. You you totally missed the uh, like about thirty plus seconds of gratuitous boobage, boobs sitting on a bed. That's all I'm gonna say. God. Anyway, that said, um, no this 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 movie is no this movie is better than Zardoz. No, it's not. Honestly, it's not. Seriously, it, it, it is. Damn it. It's not. <laughs> it it God damn it! It is. Jeff it, Jeff, it's past your bedtime. Go to bed. It's, <laughs> Zardoz at least was innovative. Seriously, this was a Bro, movie of freaking weird. There's week. nothing innovative about Zardoz. It was a weird dream. It's an art movie, man. Don't you get art? Come on. Oh, my. As much as the A-team is art. Hey, I'm an arts guy. You all know You that. are no more an arts guy <laughs> than you are a sports guy. Come on, man. <laughs> Jeez, Art. <laughs> All right, well, there you go, folks. That's it with uh, our review of this great and fantastic film. So that's it with the Man Cave Movie Review, episode 227. Check us out on our Facebook page. Uh, look for us on iTunes. Uh, actually, if you want to email us with some suggestions, you can email us at mancavemoviepodcast at gmail.com. Special folder for uh, all hate mail that goes to Jeff. Uh, I've got one set up just for him that I will forward on to Jeff. Been on my best behavior tonight. Yeah, right. <clears throat> so check us out there. Hope you've been enjoying these shows. Uh, we we are happy to be back and uh, doing these, especially uh, that Jeff has joined us. 
I hope you enjoyed this one because I'm sure he won't be back for about another three or four months. <laughs> but uh, I've, 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 I've got my quota for this quarter. Is that it? Okay. Maybe. All right. So there you go. Uh, we'll be back for another great and fantastic film. Uh, so I am your host, Steve Michaels, signing off with my good and dear friend, Ken. He's 160 proof Anglo-Saxon. Roni. <laughs> when the virus hits you, you'll be suffering from choking, flatulence, <laughs> sweats, and then you'll just die a horrible fast death because it progresses the plot of the movie. That's a night at my house. <laughs> oh, nice. All right. And also saying farewell, adieu and our viewers and is our other good and dear friend, Jeff, Lord of the Infernal Engine, Muncie. Yeah, thanks, Steve. Um, I was, I, I just was really inspired to see Jesus Christ Superstar after seeing the end of this movie. Wow. And I think yes. we should uh, possibly yes. watch that as a main yes. cave movie here in the future. Nice. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, last and certainly not least, our other good and dear friend, the Reverend Deuteronomy Skaggs. It was a great night hanging out with you damn dirty apes. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go, folks. That's it with us. We will see you again next show. Until then, ciao.